Hello and welcome to the 29th episode of the Commander Quest podcast, where today we are going to be talking about Core 21 2021 spoilers and which cards are notable. Now, we're not going to be covering too much stuff before we get into it, but real quick, first of all, I am instituting a new feature in the podcast. Uh, I am basically in the description, there's going to be a link to a place where you can submit voice messages. Think of it as something similar to emailing me a way, a question that you can ask me. And then I can include that in my podcast if I want and answer it. If I end up getting enough questions, I will start a listener question section of the podcast. If not, I will not have that question. I will not have that segment. So far, I have not received any listener questions, um, but if you have questions, feel free to ask me in... There's a lot of different ways to do it. There's going to be voice messages. You can email me. You can send me, uh, send me something through Discord, PM me. Um, there's a lot of different ways you can do it, um, but currently I don't have that segment because I don't have any questions to answer. Alright, next up is the Core 2021 information. So, first of all, I want to say sorry that this episode was late. Uh, the source, the article that I had that I was reading for dates said that uh, Core 2021 would be done being spoiled on the 19th, which was wrong. I believe it was done being spoiled on the 17th or 18th, actually. So, sorry, on the 16th or 17th? I am not sure, but point is, it's going to be a later set release. So... And then, now that it is completely spoiled, it will be released on Arena and Magic Online the 25th. Uh, The pre-release is going to be the 26th to 28th, and the release will be uh, the 3rd to the 4th. Not sure why uh, that's in July. Uh, I'm not sure why that is two days the pre-release of course makes sense i'm not sure what that's supposed to mean but whatever so those are the release dates uh of course the reason that it is released on arena and magic online is because of covid19 uh i really hope they don't use this as an excuse to make it so that it actually does in the future get released on those platforms first because that could be super detrimental and annoying. Uh, I really hope they don't do that, and I don't think they will, um, because it's a lot easier to make a profit. Well, you know what? I don't know whether it's a lot easier to make a profit on Arena or on uh, PAX, but who knows? So, well, probably the marketing people know. So, it is time to get into the set review. So, 
of this, there's just the set, and then there are the Planeswalkers de Planeswalker decks. Now, the Planeswalker decks, I'm honestly a little bit confused, uh, because they only spoiled four cards for each deck, and even if they printed four of each of those cards, that would be 16 cards, plus a lot of them I doubt they would print four of. It just doesn't really make sense. Um, maybe they're gonna, uh, spoil more, but the fact that they classified it under, the, the fact that they classified it under the same set and said that it was fully spoiled makes me question that. And even if they did do 40 card decks, that would still not be a normal amount. But I guess we will see how that goes. Alright, so the next thing I have to say is uh, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go over the the cards. We'll start off with the Planeswalker decks. So for the Planeswalker decks and for the rest of the set, I am not covering every card. I am only covering ones that I think are notable. As of reprints, I am sort of covering them. I will be covering reprints, but only if they are very important, and I won't be talking too much about them because, honestly, it's redundant. Yay, this card is cheaper. Great. It's not real. There's not really much more to it. All right. Planeswalker decks. So, for the Planeswalker decks, we have Teferi, Timeless Voyager. Well, we have Teferi, Liliana, Garuk, Chandra, and Basri as the Planeswalkers in them. Uh, I also have one more card that was notable in them. So, first, Teferi, Timeless Voyager. Four blue-blue for a four loyalty Planeswalker. Plus one, draw a card. Negative three, put target creature on top of its owner's library. And negative eight, each creature target opponent controls phases out. Until the end of your next turn, they can't phase in. So, of course, same as usual, it is bad. I mean, the plus one is pretty standard on a Planeswalker, but pretty mediocre. Not really great. The negative three is... might be okay, but when you consider it goes down to one loyalty, it's not going to protect him. It's not going to protect the Planeswalker. It's just, it's bad. It's not really playable. Uh, next is Liliana, Death Mage. Four black black for four loyalty, plus one. Return up to one target creature card from your graveyard to your hand. Negative three, destroy target creature. Its controller loses two life. Negative seven, target opponent loses two life for each creature card in their graveyard. Boom. There we go. Another pretty bad pretty bad planeswalker. I mean, it's the same thing. I mean, might be a little bit better. But that negative three isn't really going to protect it because it'll be at one loyalty. It doesn't really matter if you get rid of one creature if they only have to deal one damage to it. Uh, Garuk, Savage Herald. Oh, did I read the ultimate? Uh, yeah, I did. The ultimate is also pretty bad. Garuk, Savage Herald is four green green for a five loyalty legendary planeswalker Garuk. Plus one, reveal the top card of, of your library. If it's a creature card, put it into your hand. Otherwise, put it on the bottom of your library. Again, 
this is this is just worse than drawing a card. We we're just getting six mana planeswalkers with draw a card. Stop doing the same exact abilities, the same exact payoffs. It is so overdone. Especially in green. Green, black, blue. Guess what all their abilities were? Plus one, draw a card, or worse, or similar. It's just annoying. Uh, negative two, target creature you control deals damage equal to its power to another target creature. Uh, give me a... So, I don't know what they were thinking, but literally these first three creatures all have basically the same ability. Planeswalkers. All have basically the same abilities. Plus... Six mana, four, or I guess in this case, five loyalty. Neg plus one, draw a card or something similar. Negative two, get rid of a creature or something similar. That's like, what? And then negative seven is pretty bad in all these cases. I mean, to ferry, they lose their creatures for two turns. Okay, so Liliana Deathmage, they lose two life for each creature in their graveyard. I mean, that can be impactful, but is it is it really gonna win you the game? Who knows? You don't you aren't even necessarily milling them. Um and then Garuk, negative seven, until end of turn creatures you control gain you may have this creature assigned its combat damage so it weren't blocked. I mean that's even worse than Teferi's ultimate. I mean they just I don't know. They're just kind of bad. Okay, uh, next up is Basri, Devoted Paladin. Four white, white for four loyalty. Legendary Planeswalker Basri. You may remember I had this last week in one of my decks. Uh, I believe it was the uh, Vigilance uh, Exert deck. Yes, that's it. Uh, because of its plus one ability, plus one, put a plus one, plus one counter on up to one target creature. It gains Vigilance until end of turn. Uh, negative one whenever a creature attacks. This turn, put a plus one, plus one counter on it. And negative six. Creatures you control get plus two, plus two, and gain flying until, until end of turn. So, at first look, you're like, okay, yes, finally, something different. But no! Literally, white and red are the only cards that don't have some of the most important mechanics in Magic drawing cards and get rid of getting rid of creatures actually no white can right and red can sort of get rid of creatures red not really it's more complicated than that but these are some important abilities that are overdone in green black and blue and they're just keep on repeating it and making it super redundant and boring and in white and red they repeat the ideas that they always have in boring and less powerful ways. Like, this is just worse than so many other planeswalkers for so many reasons. I don't know. Um. It It's just kind of sad. Alright, uh, next planeswalker is Chandra, Flames Catalyst. Warner Ed for 5 loyalty. Legend legendary planeswalker Chandra. Plus one, Chandra deals one damage to each opponent, or sorry, three damage to each opponent. Negative two, you may cast target red red instant or sorcery card from your graveyard. 
If that spell would be put into your graveyard this turn, exile it instead. I mean, the recursion's nice, but why does every other color get draw a card as a benefit, as a plus one, and red gets it as a negative two? Like, sure, it's not exactly plus one draw a card, it's get a card back from your hand, but I counted that in black, and, I count, and I'm counting it in red. And instant and sorcery is also pretty niche, and it has to be red. It just, and you only get it for one turn, and it gets exiled. Like, it's just kind of worse in so many ways. I mean, the plus one can be useful, but eh, it's not that great. Okay, negative eight, discard your hand, then draw seven cards. Until end of turn, you may cast spells from your hand without paying their mana costs. I will say this is probably one of the best ultimates, but considering it takes four turns to do it with basically no protection, unless we count that negative two being able to get back a removal spell as protection, which is ridiculous, and then makes it take three more turns in order to actually get there, so the protection is useless. So, even if it does have a better ultimate, we're never going to get there. I mean, it it's like, with this type of card, the only way, with most Planeswalkers, the main way you're going to ultimate them is either by opponents figuring out, literally forgetting that you have the card, or by just um, you using some kind of doubler, like maybe a doubling season or a bubbling season, something like that. Uh, bubbling season, if you do not know, oh, what's it called? I don't know, it's a fish that when it enters the battlefield, you double uh, the counters on any number of target permanents, or maybe it's one permanent. Not sure, but it's similar to doubling season. Okay, well, the last notable thing for Planeswalker decks is Carol Keep Disciples. Two red red for creature, human, monk. Whenever you activate a loyal loyalty ability of a Chandra Planeswalker, it deals one damage to each opponent. So, this may seem bad, and you'd be partially right. There are 17 Chandra Planeswalker Chandra Planeswalkers in the game. And Chandra Tribal is a thing. So, in a red Planeswalker deck, this can be useful as it can do 2 to 3 damage to each opponent each turn. So, yes, it is good. Is it groundbreaking? No. Is it super niche? Yes. But it is a thing. And honestly, it's kind of the most useful thing out of all these cards. As always, I'm disappointed with the Planeswalker decks. They always make it so that new players need to have weak cards. Why? Why do new players have to have cards that don't have any value and not any power? Because they're too stupid to know what to buy? Is that your angle? Is that their angle? Because they sh I don't like the idea that new players cannot learn anything. They have to start with the most basic things. It's just, it's a horrible mindset. 
that we've been telling Watsi that that's a bad mindset for so long. And they need to work on it. They really need to work on the Planeswalker decks. And I mean, maybe, I don't know who's buying this. If you are trying to get into magic alone, uh, maybe I could see you buying this, but well, let, let's think about this. If you're trying to get into magic alone, there's a lot of different places you can go. One is the internet. Nowhere on the internet is someone going to tell you to buy that. Two is talking to someone at an LGS. I highly doubt they're going to recommend that you get that. Unless they don't play the game, then I could understand that. Like, all these places, if you're talking to an actual human, you're not really going to think about getting that. Or, sorry, not an actual human. Uh, an, someone who actually plays the game. So... I guess it's just people who are learning, but who want to learn how to play this game by themselves, which makes no sense, and are just looking for magic products or gifts. That's my theory of why these are selling. They're always on the shelves. Like, it just, it just makes sense as gifts. So, quite strange. I don't know where these are selling, but obviously they are. Otherwise, Watsi would have made changes. So, who knows? I mean, I guess it's good to have the thing that can help people get into the game always in stock. But is that really... I mean, they have they have the, the decks that they give out for free. Like, isn't that what what this is supposed to take supposed to be i mean maybe it's just people i don't know i'm gonna stop speculating but i don't know who is buying these and why like it just seems strange i get that watsi's that's watsi's path they say okay first get one of the free decks then get one of the planeswalker decks then maybe try a draft try opening some packs and then do what you want you know maybe buy a uh, challenger deck, although those are inconsistent. Um, who knows? Whatever you are, whatever you like after that is up to you. But I don't know. It just seems strange. So beyond that, um, gonna go over one, one other category sticks out to me, and that would be reprints. By sticks out, I mean it would be good to go over in the beginning. So, as I said, reprints, not going to go over them too much. Uh, I will just touch on them, read them over. It's the same story for all of these. This is a wonderful reprint. Glad that the price is lower. Used to be X dollars, is now X dollars. Not going to repeat that, except for one card. Well, two, actually. Heroic Intervention, one in the green for an instant. Permanence you control, gain hexproof and indestructible end until end of turn. Azusa, Lost But Seeking, two in the green, one, two. You may play two additional lands on each of your turn. turns. Grim Tutor, one black, black for sorcery. Search your library for a card. Put that card on into your hand, then shuffle your library. You lose three life. All right, this is one of the two cards that I said that I'd actually talk about. 
This used to be $300, and it will now probably be, I'm going to guess, 40 probably $40. So, still incredibly expensive, but at least it's manageable. Also, the alt art looks like an asshole. And now you will always see that for the rest of your life. You're welcome. Alright, Massacre Worm. Three black black for a 6-5. When it enters the battlefield, creatures your opponents control get negative 2, negative 2 until end of turn. Whenever a creature an opponent controls dies, that player loses 2 life. It's a 6-5. It's a 6-5. Ugin, the spirit dragon. 8 for a 7. Loyalty, legendary planeswalker Ugin. Negative, or sorry, plus 2. It deals 3 damage to any target. Negative X. Exile each permanently converted mana cost X or less that's 1 or more colors. Negative 10. You gain 7 life, draw 7 cards, then put up to 7 permanent cards from your hand onto the battlefield. This used to be about $100. Probably now will be about $40. Usually when cards that have astronomically high costs are reprinted, they end up about $40. Depends, but that's a pattern that I've noticed. Uh, of course, it depends. Not saying I really know. Just saying, that's a fairly likely conclusion. Alright, next, let's talk about the commanders. So, there are some... Now, here's the thing, here's the first thing I noticed about the commanders. While there is some pattern, it is not perfectly balanced between all colors what commanders are being printed in what colors. Uh, there's not really cycles or one in each color pair or anything like that, which I honestly think is wonderful. Some people, that while it can be nice to have balance in between the colors, it can be extremely limiting to making nice designs if you have to stick to that. So just overall, make it balanced and it will be fine. Now, I'm just going to quickly, well, I don't know how quickly, I'm going to go over the commanders. First, we have Jolriel Mwanvuli Recluse. One and a green for a 1-2. Whenever you draw your second card each turn, create a 2-2 two, two green cat creature token. And four green green. Until end of turn, creatures you control have base, power, and toughness X, X where X is the number of cards in your hand. So, there's a lot of different ways to do this. First, of course, we want to have uh, engines that will draw us a card on every one of our turns so that we will consistently get that 2-2. Second thing we can do is we can use things that draw us a card for each creature on the battlefield or each creature we control. That way we have a large amount of creature cards in our hand and we are producing a cat creature token. Third thing we can do is try to draw two cards on our opponent's upkeeps. Now we are in green, so that can be difficult to do. But we there are a lot of different ways. First is we could use a Yeva, Nature's Herald, which can let us flash out green creatures. Uh, then we can use those to draw some more cards. Second thing is by using artifacts and usually their activated abilities. And 
Third thing, instants and sorceries aren't really going to work very well. There are really not that many green instants, and I don't think there are any green instants at instant speed that will draw us two cards. I could check that, but that would interrupt my podcast. So, next up is Nyambi, esteemed speaker. That is white, blue for 2-1 with flash. When it enters the battlefield, you may return another target creature you control to its owner's hand. If you do, you gain life equal to that creature's converted mana cost. And one white blue. Discard a legendary card. Draw two cards. So, there's a lot of notable things. First of all, we get to return a creature. So this can be helpful to recast creatures, but we only get to do it once. And it says another creature, so we can't recast it over and over again. So, it can be useful in a bounce deck, but, and it can helm that bounce deck, but that doesn't work great. We can try to take advantage of bouncing our opponent's creatures, which also doesn't really work great. Yes, we get to bounce one thing, and that's kind of all. The really the best way, in my opinion, to take advantage of this is flicker. If we flicker this creature, we can bounce things to their hands over and over again. Plus, as we flicker it, if we want, we can bounce our own thing that will bring an instant and sor- or sorcery back to our hand that we can use to flicker it again. Now, that can be rather difficult to do, but and difficult to take advantage of, but it certainly can work. Also, as Flash, it can just be nice protection at the helm of a Selesnya control deck. Sorry, Azorius control deck. And the last part of it, one white, blue, tap, discard a legendary card, draw two cards. Now, that might seem relatively useless in the beginning in that flicker deck, but this can helm a legendary creature or a legendary card, a legendary deck, and that doesn't work too well. There's just not very much to build around, and having it in your graveyard isn't necessarily helpful in blue, white, blue. The thing I would recommend is just carefully choosing in your deck to have extra legendary cards especially in the lands. There are plenty of cards in lands that are just legendary, and it can be a great way to take some extra advantage out of it. So, that's my take on Nyambi. It could be a very effective flicker deck with a sub-theme of legendary. Next up is Subira. Tolzidi Caravaner. Caravaner? Uh, which is 200 for 2-3 with haste. 1. Another target creature with power 2 or less can't be blocked this turn. 1. Red tap. Discard your hand. Until end of turn, whenever a creature you control with power 2 or less deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. So, let's get into this. First of all, the theme of another target creature with power 2 or less can't be blocked this turn is actually very consistent 
That has been printed multiple times on usually goblins that can tap to make it so that target creature with power two or less cannot be blocked. Now, that's not particularly relevant because you might or may not want to include those decks, those cards in your deck, but it can be a great way to. Now, my take on it is sort of like another Edric. While it is significantly worse than Edric in significantly worse colors, hear me out. So in red, it is difficult to get some cheap, C well, it's not difficult to get cheap CMC creatures. It is difficult to get creatures with evasion. So this provides it. You can make a ton of creatures in red. It is so, so easy to make a lot of creatures, a lot of little tokens. And this will give you the evasion you need. And it will give you advantage. You can be playing with goblins that love to take advantage of discarding your hand. That can be a sub theme. You can waste away your hand and just easily get it back. With all these tokens and all this production you are creating, a lot of creatures that will draw you a lot of cards that you can easily give it eva evasion. You might even want to give it a goblin sub-theme as that will A, be basically the only way to create tokens effectively in those colors, and B, it will make it so that you have more, basically just more options. So, in conclusion, it's a way to, in this deck, you're just gonna throw in a ton of token production, some evasion, things like that, and it's it's just gonna work. You can use your mana make it to make it go through and refill your hand in red. You can absolutely lay waste to your hand. And you'll you'll get it back. That is an extremely important thing in red, and it's great to have a commander that embraces that. You have to embrace the chaos of no cards in hand in red and wasting it all away. People are always trying to fight against it. This deck can help you love it. And it's high risk. If your board gets wiped away, you're done for. But I think it would be really fun to take that risk. All right. Next up is Baron, Talarian Archmage. One, blue, blue for a 2-2 legendary creature human wizard. When Baron, Talarian Archmage, enters the battlefield, return up to one other target creature or planeswalker to its owner's hand. And at the beginning of your end step, if a permanent was put into your hand from the battlefield this turn, draw a card. So... At first glance, you see a bounce deck. You just want to bounce and replay your cards. And honestly, that's what you want. Now, of course, you can take advantage of this with Flicker, but you don't necessarily need to. I think it is much better to just embrace the bounce. There are plenty of cards that will let you cast them over and over again. I would like this, I would want this to be in more colors because if you add white, there are a lot of cards in white that have flash and will let you bounce it back to your hand, but sadly that's not there. 
Now, I do think it is a little bit boring to have the payoff be draw a card, but as we are, as I have said, we are going to be recasting creatures over and over and over again. So what we can do is we can take advantage of creatures with enter the battlefield abilities, or we can take advantage of just drawing that card. There are a lot of different things that will trigger off of that in blue. So overall, this is a fairly basic bounce deck, similar to a flicker deck, but it is a new archetype. And while it can be difficult to be using a bounce deck because those valuable ETBs usually come on large CMC creatures, it can also be a great new way to take advantage of these things. Uh, plus, you can reuse cast triggers, which can be a major factor. So, I think this opened up a new archetype, which is wonderful. Next is Gadrak, the, the Crown Scourge. Two and a red for a 5-4 with flying. Gadrak can't attack unless you have four or more artifacts. And at the beginning of your end step, create a treasure token for each non-token creature that died this turn. Uh, yeah, I've been talking for 24 minutes and I've just started, so this might be a long episode. But I've found in the past, whenever I think it's going to be a long episode, I'm wrong. And whenever I think it's going to be a short episode, I'm also wrong. So I think I'm just really bad at predicting. But whatever. Uh, four bonus episodes, I just talk for however long I want. So, because of this... This is, I think, a new archetype in red. We want to farm non-token creature death. And that's an interesting concept. So, because we, what you would immediately go to is create ton, a ton of tokens and then sack them. But you can't do that. So, what you can do is, first of all, it's surprisingly easy to sacrifice creatures in red. There are actually a lot of sacrifice outlets, if you know where to look. Also in colorless, there are a significant number of sacrifice outlets. So actually getting your creatures to die isn't too difficult. The second thing you can do is have some goblins will bring things back, some goblins will look for more goblins on the top of your library. Red loves goblins. You can try and do dragons, but that's not really going to work at all. So again, we're trying to farm treasure tokens. So the second thing we can look at is burn. We can try and figure out how many of our opponent's creatures we can kill. So what we can do is we can try and wrath. If we wrath, we are going to get tons of non-token creature deaths. We're going to get tons of treasures and recasting Gadrak isn't going to matter because we have plenty of treasures for it to not matter. We can then start beating in with him. So that is great. But if you think about it, having a 5-4 flying as our payoff isn't really that great. What we want to do is we want to go Voltron. And that's another thing we can use because it can't attack unless you control four or more artifact. We can use equipment we can attach and suit it up so it can be a Voltron commander. That way, we can kill our opponents quickly. Now, five does, in theory, 
take five turns to kill. But one more power, we go to four. Obviously, four is way too slow. We need to get it to at least seven power. But if you think about it, that's only two. If we use one of the many things, although not particularly in this color, if we use one of the many things that will pump by the number of artifacts we control, we can easily get a lot of power. So getting it to five, getting it to seven or getting it to 11 are neither particularly difficult. So again, it's a Voltron commander that can take advantage of burn, wraths, and getting rid of our opponent's creatures. It can also try to reoccur our own creatures in some cases. There are also some uh, cards that will allow you to recast, that will allow you to recast things from the graveyard in red, but they're kind of uncommon. Uh, so next up is Rada, Heart to Kelt. One red green for 3-3. Three, three. As long as it's your turn, Rada, Heart of Keld, has first strike. You may look at the top card of your library at any time, and you may play lands from the top car top of your library. Four red green. Rada gets plus X plus X until end of turn, where X is the number of lands you control. And it is a 3-3. Three, three. So if you think about it, Rada, Heart to Keld, can be well used. If, in, th in theory, the highest value you could get is equivalent to a draw per turn. If you don't have to, if you don't get that, get that land off top and you just have already played it, that is equivalent to drawing a card. So, in theory, you could draw up to one card per turn. In reality, you will most likely get roughly 0.336, if we're assuming that you're running 36 lands per turn, which is okay. One third of the time, roughly, a uh, little bit more than that, maybe four tenths, you will get, you will get a card. And that seems okay. I mean, Getting things, getting the lands off the top of your library is mediocre. Some of the time you can take advantage of it. Some of the time you can't. So overall, that's mediocre and hard to take advantage of. Second part has first strike. That is semi-hard to take advantage of. Giving it death touch can make that much better, but that is not really great. And the third ability is maybe notable. So it gets plus X plus end of X until end of turn, where X is the number of lands you control. So if we look at this in the scope of a Voltron commander, so if we're trying to get it to seven, that is four lands. And that's gonna happen. Uh, we have to have at least six, assuming we don't have artifacts to ramp, which would be Quite silly, of course we're going to use land ramp. So if we have six lands, then it's up to nine. So we might as well go for eight, try and get it up to 11. 18 is a pretty unreasonable number, unless we use a land doubler, which are semi-common, but eh, still difficult. So if we try to get eight lands, which 
I'd say is somewhat difficult to do. I mean, it's just once we get to that point, all we are, we are pouring all of our mana into Rod. Now, the good part of that is if they blow it out, what we don't we still have a full hand. We have a full hand of cards that we can play to get back if they blow up Rada. And but the downside of that is we can't protect it. We are using so much mana on it. And we have what two mana left? And we can't really cast anything else that's complementary. It's kind of all it's kind of everything we have out. And even if we do have things we can cast later, it might be too little too late. So, as a Voltron Commander, I'd say it's pretty bad, but it can work. It definitely can work. Green does love making a lot of lands. Plus, being able to look at the top card of your library can help you take advantage of that, but because we're in red-green, the only advantage of that we can take is being able to play lands off of it, which we can already do. Alright, next up is Veto. Thorn of the Dusk Rose. Two and a green, or sorry, sorry, two and a black for one three. Whenever you gain life, target opponent loses that much life. Creature three, black, black. Creatures you control gain life link until end of turn. And it is a one three. So, first thing that pops into everyone's head, and I know, I know it popped into your head, is a blood bond combo. This is a half of the blood bond combo. And if you are running this, you will include that combo. Both halves, because having a second version of your commander that stacks is quite awesome. Now, of course we're going to have that, but that, that's not a whole deck. Sure, we can add lots of tutors for it and stuff, and we can actually win surprisingly consistently with that combo if we want to go for that. But... I'm not going to talk about that. That's a fairly easy, fairly boring, in my opinion, deck. I have, everyone has their own taste of decks. Do not let anyone tell you your deck is not interesting because it's up to you. Now, but you have to be careful because they're probably not saying, oh, your deck isn't interesting to you. They're probably saying it's not interesting to them. They don't like playing against it. Just make sure you have your own opinion and you're playing what you're, you love. Um, so, Veto. So if we look at the second ability, beyond that, we can give our creatures lifelink. So, being able to gain a lot of life when we think about it. So, the first thing I think of is our life doublers. Things that will double your life give you will kill, most likely, an opponent. Well, that could work. It sadly is all in white. Being able to have white and black would make this significantly better. But that is okay because we can still try and take advantage. So if we think about our creatures, what is the most effective way to gain life in black? And I think that this deck, this is actually pointing us in the right direction. The best way to gain life in, the, in black is by beaters, beaters with lifelink. And in this case, I think we can abandon the beaters with lifelink and just replace them. Don't you just love spam calls? 
Isn't it great when you're recording a podcast and you just get a wonderful spam call to interrupt you? Isn't that great? <sighs> I don't know. I think I'm on a list or something. Like, I've gotten like four of them this day. I don't even know if that's a thing. Like, people always say that, like, you're on a list or something. Is that an actual thing? I don't know. I'll probably Google it later. But point is, I'm very annoyed by that. So in black, probably the most effective way, especially with this being able to give things lifelink, to gain life is with, with big beaters. Now, paying five mana each turn is a tough sell. And using mana reduction can be quite limited. There's really only one or... I can only think of one. Might be an, another one or two. Cards in black that will reduce it. And I, I believe it's Hearthstone. And it only does it by one mana. So, sure it's better. Still quite difficult. So, beyond that... There's not much we can do. We can give our creatures lifelink, but that's a very white ability. Uh, we can uh, we can do a lot of different things, but it seems shaky. So our options are to either try and go for beaters with lifelink, which can work, but is sort of limited, or to try and lean into that, try and spend our mana on that. Because we have so much protection for our board in black, and eh, we sort of do. We can try and lean into that and just hope we don't get blown out. But it's okay. I just think, I don't know. Like, we can gain life. We're basically dealing double damage and gaining life if we go through that path for only five mana a turn. So it seems quite good. Next is Kervek, the Spiteful. Two black black for a 3-2. Other creatures get negative one, negative one. All right, let's jump into this. So there's a couple different ways that this can be good. The first, which you have pretty little control over, is tokens. Literally, token decks cannot play against this. If you are technically, if you are playing... Uh, now, here's the thing with that. I don't think that actually matters. I do not think that is an upside unless you really hate your opponent's token deck. If they see this deck, I highly, highly doubt that they will um, actually pull out their token deck. Now, I'm fairly certain technically the way it works is you're all supposed to reveal your commander at the same time, but people don't really do that in practice, so... It's kind of, it kind of doesn't matter too much, but that's not really why that can be so useful. Because just incidental tokens, synergies, all this stuff, it can make people random tokens or random one ones. Think about how much just a random dork, a random one one guy that taps for mana is out there. This can really trip up your opponents. So, the next thing you can take advantage of this with is your own creatures. You have an extremely efficient way to make it so that all your all the creatures that you want to die can die. 
And this may not seem that good, but trust me, it is. This is a great way to take advantage of plenty of abilities. And I'm not going to dig too, delve too deep into it because there's just too many different ways for me to cover. And it's all up to how you want to do it. So this can be extremely effective, but you have to burrow it carefully and carefully consider how you are doing this and what all the options are. All right, next up is Mangara, the Diplomat. Three and a white for a 2-4 with lifelink. Whenever an opponent attacks with creatures, if two or, two or more of those creatures are attacking you and or planeswalkers you control, draw a card. And whenever an opponent casts their second spell each turn, draw a card. So there are two ways we can go with this. The first, which is slightly more obvious, is hate bears and honestly white does kind of need a hate bear commander the way that white is supposed to take is supposed to take advantage uh and get ahead of opponents is by hate bears is by control is by stacks and it can't really do that in commander because of the multiplayer aspect so white has difficulty in commander, so if you can convince your playgroup to let you play with those cards, this could be an effective commander for it. Although I do think there are some much more effective commanders for it. But if you want a much more effective way, effective politically way of doing it, then you can go with Pillow Fort. Pillow Fort is or Rattlesnake. Usually they go often they go together. Pillow Fort or Rattlesnake. Well, Pillow Fort is basically a way to dissuade your opponents from attacking you. Cards that say have your opponents ha have to pay two mana, or make it so you draw a card, or many other things that dissuade them from attacking you so that they'll attack someone else. Rattlesnake is similar, except if they attack you, they get a downside rather than having to pay a cost up front. Usually that might be like destroying creature or something similar to that. That way they are dissuaded not to attack you. Okay, uh, that can also be used uh, with a removal spell to threaten a rattlesnake. So, that can be that can work um it just highlights the issues with white and i don't know i mean it seems like with the cards that their watsi is printing that's what they are leaning towards they just want the stacks in white to be good enough that it doesn't really matter what your opponents are doing which first of all it's not and it's going to be extremely difficult to make it that way and Second of all, it's not a good solution. No one wants that solution. That's not the solution we are looking for. But that that can work. Could be a good stacks commander. All right, next up is Rin and Seri. Inseparable. One red, green, white for 4-4. Four, four. 
Whenever you cast a dog spell, create a 1-1 green cat creature token. Whenever you cast a cat spell, create a 1-1 white dog creature token. And it's a 4-4. Red, green, white, tap. Rin and Seri inseparable deals damage to any target equal to the number of dogs you control. You gain life equal to the number of cats you control. Now, first, this is cute and awesome, and I love it. Second, it's it's a split tribe. One of the tribes, which is relatively new. Yes, hounds have been eroded to now be dogs, but there's not very much hound or dog tribal in existence. The dog is a relatively new tribe, and cat does have some support, but it's never been that great. And the second issue is cat, which loves going tall, having a couple super impactful cats, now is not. It is now trying to go wide so we can gain life equal to the number of cats I control. That's not how that works, and getting a 1-1 cat when we make a, when we cast the dog isn't that great either. It's just, it's a split deck that doesn't give us what, that doesn't play to the strengths of the tribes and is overall mediocre. I mean, we can, we can gain life equal to the number of cats we control is basically doesn't matter. And dealing damage equal to the number of dogs we control to any target can be quite useful as removal, but as I just said, dogs are pretty weak. So there's two ways we can do this. One is just look at it and just throw in a ton of the most playable dogs and the most playable cats and throw in some cat synergy and it just won't work that well. You just have to pick one cat even though you're casting all these other cats randomly to have it be the one that you want to pump up. It's just awkward. It's not designed well to the strengths of the tribes. And it's not an, it's not really an effective way to meld. I, I just don't think melding two tribes is it works. I don't think it works. They've been constantly printing cards like this, and I I think it's cute and fun, but it doesn't really work. I mean, I guess it's their idea of a way to make it so the two not-too-supported tribes become supported by just melding them, but it's kind of only one unsupported tribe. I don't know. I don't know what the solution to this is, and I'm sure people can come up with playable decks for it, but it's just awkward and doesn't play to the strengths. Watsi needs to make synergies with tribes based on the abilities and the patterns that we find when we're working with those tribes, not based on the tribe, the literally the tribe name. Literally, the name is the only thing that matters. We don't care if it's a shapeshifter. Shapeshifters should be much, much less useful in magic. The fact that shapeshifters are so widely used in tribal decks well displays 
the mistakes that Watsi is making. We should have synergies based on what historically these tribes have done on their cards, not based on the name on the type line. That, I don't know. I, I guess that's just not how it's going to work. I mean, they've constantly been printing this, and I'm... I mean, they haven't really received backlash. People say, oh, we this isn't that great. But there's not really too much backlash. All right. Next category. Uh, this one's pretty straight, straightforward. So I just pulled the ones to the side that were similar to old cards. Similar to cards that have already been printed so we can well establish exactly how they're going to be used. So, I'm going to say similar to new is the new cards that are similar to an old card, and similar to old is the card that it's similar to. So, first is Unleash Fury. One in a red for an instant. Double the power of target creature until end of turn. That is similar to Teamer Battle Rage. One in a red, target creature gains double strike until end of turn. It also has Ferocious, that creature gains Trample until end of turn if you control a creature with power 4 greater, but we're not worrying about that. So, uh, if we look at where TMR Battle Rage is played, it is semi-widely played. It is played in a significant number of decks, but it is also niche at the same time. Unleash Fury, I would say, is similar, except it's better. There are a lot more double strike effects than there are double power effects, and double power effects stack. So I would say this would go in more decks than it than Team or Battle Rage would, as it is slightly more effective, minus the trample. So good. Not gonna have too wide adoption, but that's fine. Next is Spore Web Weaver. Two and a green for a 1-4 with reach and hexproof from blue. Whenever Sporeb Weaver is dealt damage, you gain one life and create a 1-1 green sapling creature token. And it is a 1-4. First of all, do not like the hexproof from ability. It's just pointless. Just give it hexproof. Really, it's not that powerful. If you want to make it slightly weaker, do Shroud. I'm not sure if Shroud- is Shroud even, um, Evergreen? I don't know. Um, but don't love Hexproof from Blue, but that's okay. So, what is it similar to? Now, this one was a little bit more of a stretch than the others, but I just included it anyways. So, Hornet Nest is 2 and a green for 0-2. When it's dealt damage, put that many 1-1 one, one green insect creature tokens with flying and death touch on the battlefield. Now, I'm not saying it's similar to this. I'm saying it's similar to this, but a Rampage version of it. If we look at decks, at Rampage decks, I would say it would go in a significant number of them. Not necessarily in the decks Hornet Nest goes into, but... It all it makes tokens similar to Hornet Nest, so that's the one I put down. And Enrage is an ability, not a card. So 
I would say this will get picked up in our in rage deck in rage decks and just about nowhere else. Next is Garruk's Uprising. Two and a green for an enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, if you control a creature with power four or greater, draw a card. Creatures you control have trampled. Whenever a creature with power four or greater enters the battlefield under your control, draw a card. Now, I said this was similar to two cards. It's sort of a mesh of the two. Now, I would say it is similar but better than Cavulair, which is two and a green for an enchantment. Whenever a creature with power four or greater comes into play, its controller draws a card. So that does work on opponents. And I'd say it's similar but worse to Colossal Majesty, which is two and a green for an enchantment. At the beginning of your upkeep, if you control a creature with power four or greater, draw a card. So if we think about it, it is similar to that, except when it enters the battlefield and whenever we cast a creature with power four or greater, or sorry, whenever it enters the battlefield, we draw a card. Now, in some specific scenarios, for example, if we have a deck that can consistently create uh, large tokens or large creatures, I would say in order for it to be better, we would have to consistently be able to produce a four power creature every turn. Now, sure, technically that would be one card more than that, than the other card. I'm going to say sometimes things go wrong. You're not getting it as consistently. As of the trample, that's a nice benefit, but I don't think it really adds much power to the card. So, overall, I'd say it's good, and it's going to go in some decks, but really, it's a worse Colossal Majesty. And Colossal Majesty had pretty limited pickup. Plus, the lo plus where it was printed, which I'm pretty sure it was printed in a Planeswalker deck. I think I categorized it wrong. No, I just decided it was more logical to categorize it this way. Um, plus, the location is going to make it so it has more limited adoption. So, it's kind of bad. Um, next up is Light of Promise. Two and a white for an enchantment aura. Enchanted creature has, whenever you gain life, put that many plus one plus one counters on this creature. That is similar to Sunbond, which has the exact same text, except it's three and a white. And I think it's going to have the exact same adoption as Sunbond. Very limited and only in one deck. Evra Halcyon Witness. Evra Halcyon Witness is four white white for, I think it's a four four and you can pay four to... Okay, uh, that way you can gain, you can switch it, you can gain a ton of life put that many plus one plus one counters and then you can sw switch it around whenever you want you'll have a ton of life you'll have a giant creature all this stuff so next up is it's kind of win more actually i don't know why people play it because if you're switching your life you can probably kill someone and then you're going to gain the life anyways because it ever has lifelink so why are you putting plus one plus one counters on it honestly it's pointless if you have a um, Evra deck, just cut it. It's not even good. Even if you are winning, it's not win more. It's completely pointless. So, I, I don't know. Worst case scenario, you have a lower, you have a lower life total than someone, and then you can just kill them last after you've gained your life total. 
twice, and if they're the most threatening player, well, like, I don't know, but in very rare scenarios, is it going to do anything at all? So I don't think it's easy to argue that it's playable. So, sorry, next card, Teferi's Tutelage is Tuna Blue for an enchantment. Whenever, when Teferi's Tutelage enters the battlefield, draw a card, then discard a card. Whenever you draw a card, target opponent mills two cards. First of all, mill keyword, awesome. Second of all, similar to Psychic Corrosion. Two and a blue, enchantment. Whenever you draw a card, each opponent puts the top two cards of the library into the graveyard. Now, this is just a better version of Psychic Corrosion, and it will see just about the same adoption. It will be played in some cases, but it's not going to be that amazing. Alright, next is Teferi's Ageless Insight. Two blue-blue for legendary enchantment. If you draw a card except for the first one you draw in each of your draw steps, draw two cards instead. This is similar to Alhamrit's Archive. Five for legendary artifact. If you would gain life, you gain twice that much life instead. And if you would draw a card except for the first one you draw in each of your draw steps, draw two cards instead. So... Yeah, uh, if you are playing this in a deck that cares about the draw portion, you do not care about the life portion. So, this is just a one mana cheaper. Sure, it's blue, but 99% of the cards that care about that draw will be blue. This is just a one mana cheaper, hopefully uh, monetarily cheaper. Uh, Hamrit's Archive is either $20 or $10, depending on where you buy it. Uh, it's, it's a pretty major difference, but whatever. Um, so, it's just a better version, and it's probably not going to be monetarily cheaper because of that. Alright, next up is Transmogrify. Three and a red for a sorcery. Exile target creature. That's That creature's controller reveals cards from the top, top of their library until they reveal a creature card. That player puts the top puts that card on the onto their battlefield, then shuffles the rest it, into their library. Uh, that is similar to Chaos Warp, which is two at a red for an instant. The owner of target permanent shuffles it into their library, then reveals the top card of their library. If it's a permanent card, they put it on the battlefield. Now, this is a significantly worse uh, version of this, and I'd say is not going to have wide adoption. The only place this is going to have wide adoption is in decks with cards more similar to Transmogrify. Now, I'm thinking of a card, and I can't remember what it's called, and my internet is not working properly, so I can't really check. But in cards, that, in decks that have very similar effects, that love revealing cards off of their, off of their library, until they get a specific card or one of a couple of cards to take advantage of that, usually in blue, um, this will go in there most likely. But other than that, it's going to see very limited play. Next, next similar card is Brash Taunter. Four and a red for a 1-1 one, one whenever Brash Taunter is dealt damage. It deals that much damage to target opponent. Uh, and it has two and a red. Brash Taunter fights another target creature. It is a 1-1. So, this is very similar 
two stuffy doll. Five for zero one. When it enters the battlefield, choose a player. It's undestructible. And when it's dealt damage, it deals that much damage to the chosen player. And tap, it deals one damage to itself. So literally, it's the same thing. It's indestructible. It deals the damage. The only differences are the cost, which uh, Brash Taunter has red instead of colorless, which is minor difference. Power has one power, and the tap ability. Brash Taunters cost three more mana, but can do significantly more damage. So, it's good. Uh, it will go in exactly the same places. Nowhere more, nowhere less. Double vision. Three, red, red for an enchantment. Whenever you cast your first instant or sorcery spell, well, actually, no, uh, not exactly the same places. If the deck doesn't have red, then it won't go there. But other than that, exactly the same places. Sorry, double vision. Three, red, red for an enchantment. Whenever you cast your first instant or sorcery spell each turn, copy that spell. You may choose new targets for the copy. So this is exactly the same as Swarm Intelligence, other than the CMC. Swarm Intelligence is six and a blue for an enchantment. Whenever you cast a first instant or sorcery spell, sorry, whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, you may copy that spell. You may choose new targets for the copy. So minus the fact that one of them is red and one of them is blue, um, they're the same. Yes, technically, if you cast two spells in the same turn it will not trigger on both of them but the odds of that being relative relevant are pretty low uh the only places that uh would that that would matter is in storm decks or some other decks but point is not super relevant so swarm intelligence is played exactly nowhere Sure, some people do play it, but it is a win more card that I would argue is almost always pointless. So, it is very rarely played and does see some play in some decks, but it is always at a low percentage. Because it's just not particularly useful. Double Vision, I think, will not be quite like that. I think it will find some homes, but not that many. It can be useful, but because of the fact that it is still played so late in the game, it's going to be hard to get to take good advantage of it. Because in order to get good value off of it, you're probably going to want to ca copy three spells, which is very hard to consistently do. So, I don't know. It's fine. It's not good. It's not bad. It will see some play, but it won't see that much. Next up is Terror of the Peaks. Three red red for a 5-4 with flying. Spells your opponent's cost, cast the target. Terror of the Peaks cost an additional three life to cast. And whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, Terror of the Peaks deals damage equal to that creature's power to any target. This is the same as Warstorm Sword Surge, sort of. Warstorm Surge is 5 and a red for an enchantment. Whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, it deals damage equal to its power to any target. So, the main abilities on Tower of the Peaks are the same. That last part is the same. The differences are, Tower of the Peaks is one, more, one less mana. 
one mana more red intensive, but still one less mana. Uh, it is a creature, which I'd say probably makes it worse. Depends on the deck, but vulnerability can be quite annoying. And spells that spells opponents cast the target cost an additional three life. Um, that's not going to stop anyone unless they have exactly three life left. Or two life. Or one life. You get the point. It's not going to stop anyone from targeting it because if they don't target it, they'll die anyways, because you'll just cast a creature that kills them. So, that's not going to stop anyone, but it just gives you an additional 3 damage if it gets blown up. Sort of like a consolation prize. Uh, and it's a 5-4, which can be nice. So, overall, I would say it is significantly better. Eh, I'd say it's slightly better. Yeah, I'd say it's slightly better than Warstorm Surge, um, and it will see more play. But, I mean, no, I think it's going to see a lot more play. That one mana at this high of a mana cost makes a very, very large difference. So, I think it will see much more play. But it's hard to say. Alright, next is Twinblade Assassins. Three red, three black green for a 5-4. Creature Elf Assassin, at the beginning of your end step, if a creature died this turn, draw a card. This is similar to Death Reap Ritual. Two, black green for enchantment, morbid. At the beginning of each end step, if a creature died this turn, you may draw a card. So, yeah, this is significantly worse. First of all, it only works on your end step. Second of all, it's a creature which can make it die more often. It also has a 5-4, so it can beat down, but I'd say overall, it is significantly worse because of the fact that it only triggers on your end step. And um, Death Reef Ritual doesn't really see any play. So it's also not going to see any play. Next up is Fiery Emancipation. Three, red, red, red for an enchantment. If a source you control would deal damage to a permanent or player, it deals triple that damage to that permanent or player instead. So... First of all, this is probably a mega cycle. There's that uh, four green, green, green thing that triples mana too. So this is probably gonna be a mega cycle. White getting uh, triple life, blue getting triple draw, black getting triple. We'll see. We'll see bl what black gets. Um, but that's pretty good. Uh, if we can compare it to gratuitous violence, which is two red, red, red. And it does the same thing, except it's double. So, first of all, Gratuitous Violence will get replaced. Second of all, for some reason, Gratuitous Violence is extremely underplayed. Uh, it'd probably be better to compare it to something that doubles all damage dealt to everyone. But it only doubles damage we control. Uh, so, it's, it's a little bit different depending... There's upsides and downsides of only doubling damage you control and only doubling damage everyone and doubling damage everyone controls. If you double the damage everyone controls, damage to you is also doubled. If you double, but also damage opponents deal is also doubled to your opponents. So, eh, it's okay. Uh, this will see a large amount of play. I would say almost all damage doublers, even global ones, 
will get replaced with this. Because otherwise the damage doublers will not really be worth playing if you can't deal a significant amount of damage. And triple versus having everyone, even if that does work better in your deck, is a large enough difference to change your mind over. So this will see a large amount of play, but will be expensive. So that will limit some people. But other than that, that's kind of all there is on similar to new. All right, so next thing I wanna cover are cards in other languages. Now, this is just Architect Scryfall. No, it's an Architect error. Uh, it's not updated and I don't really know how to change their language. So I'm just gonna cover these real quick. So first of all, Invigorating Surge, two and a green for an instant. Uh, put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control, then double the number of plus one, plus one counters on that creature. Great, you get lots of plus one, plus one counters on that creature which can probably kill someone. Likely your commander, likely Voltron. Bullfist Oak. Two, green, green for creature, two, three. Whenever you draw a card, it gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. Now, you're in green, so you can probably draw a lot of cards, but you, you may or may not be doing that. Now, there's a lot of different ways to draw cards, the main one that would work with this is drawing cards based off power. That would be wonderful because it gets, you draw some cards, it gets pumped up, you draw more cards over and over and over again. Because a lot of cards, for example, say you draw off power and then you draw off combat damage, something like that. But point is, you can draw a lot of cards and this can be your win con. It's not the best win con, but it certainly works. Next is Waker of Waves, 5, blue, blue. Bridges your opponent's control, get negative 1, negative 0. 1, blue, discard Waker of Waves. Uh, sorry, it's a 7-7. Seven, seven. Uh, look, look at the top two cards of your library. Put one of them into your hand and the other into your graveyard. So that's fine. I mean, it's sort of like cycling, but a little bit better. Uh, that's a great way to either have it be useful late game or useful early game. Next is Pursued Whale, which is 5 blue-blue for an 8-8. Eight, eight. When it enters the battlefield, each opponent creates a 1-1 one, one red pirate creature token with this creature can't block. And creatures you, you control attack each combat if able. And spells your opponent's control, or spells your opponent's cast that target Pursued Whale cost 3 more to cast. Now, this is going to make it extremely difficult to kill Pursued Will. Depending on the removal spell, usually they cost one to three mana. So if it's one or two mana, they probably don't care. But if it's six mana to cast the removal spell, they might not remove it. And having creatures have to attack means they either attack you and most likely get eaten by the Pursued Will, at least the biggest creature, uh, or they attack their they attack each other, which is just about the best thing. Being having your all your opponents attack each other is awesome. You don't have any downside. You're not getting very much hate. It's just it's the best thing. It's wonderful. All right. Next up is kinetic auger, three and a red for uh 
for an X4 with Trample, Human Shaman. His power is equal to the number of instant and sorcery cards in your graveyard, and when it enters the battlefield, discard up to two cards, then draw that many cards. It's fine. Uh, it can be a way to win in an instant ants or sorcery deck. Something like that. Can work. Can also not work. It's mediocre. Uh, Demonic Embrace. One black black for an enchantment aura. Enchant creature. Enchanted creature gets plus three plus one. Has flying and is a demon in addition to its other types. You may cast it from your graveyard by paying through life and discarding a card in addition to paying its other costs. This can be a very way, a very good way to benefit in a graveyard deck. Just being able to get an additional three damage can help a lot. All right, next up is Angelic Ascension. Angelic Ascension is one and a white for an instant. Exile target creature or planeswalker. Its controller creates a 4-4 white angel creature token that's flying. Now, there are a lot of different places this can be useful. One... Just as removal, this is pretty bad. Giving an opponent a 4-4 with flying kind of crosses the line. Pongify and Rapid Hybridization are blue with where there's not very much removal. They destroy, sure, that's slightly worse. But they give a 3-3 without flying, and that is quite good. But giving a 4-4 with flying does kind of cross the line. Yes, it can be useful for removal, but can also be useful for creating a token that you can clone. That can be very useful. In decks that care about large tokens, this can be good for that specific purpose, and in a pinch, it can be good for uh, for creating, uh, for getting rid of things. Leafkin Avenger is 2 red green for 4 3. Tap add for add green for each creature you control with power 4 or greater. Um so first of all, that's not really great. It is difficult to get very many creatures, never mind very many creatures with power 4 or greater. Plus it's 4 mana. It just seems kind of bad. It itself is power 4 or greater. And with one or two other creatures, it can be good. But I'd just say it's a little bit bad. I mean, there's always Growing Rights of Illamok, which works much, much better. Um, then it has a second ability of 7 in red. Leafkin Avenger deals damage equal to its power to target player or planeswalker. Now, this might be good if it were Growing Rights of Illamok effect, but no. You're not going to be making enough mana for that to be a useful ability. It, you're just not. I highly, highly doubt you will ever be able to make even four mana with that. And dealing four damage to target player or planeswalker for four mana? Plus, you still are using the mana from Leafkin Avenger. It's not like that mana no longer exists just because you produced it with that. That... That ability is not good. And the first ability also isn't really that good. So, overall, I'd say it's pretty bad. Next is Male M M Malefic Scythe. I don't know. Uh, Male it is one in a black for an artifact equipment. Malefic Scythe enters the battlefield with a soul counter on it. Equipped creature gets plus one, plus one for each soul counter on Malefic Scythe. 
Whenever equipped creature dies, put a soul counter on Malefic Scythe, and it has equipped one. So, this is an interesting card. This has to go in a deck, in order to be effective, it has to go in a deck that loves sacrificing creatures and wins with Voltron. I don't know whether those thing those two things go together at all, but maybe they do. I'm not sure. Um, if they go together, then that would be great, and it could go in fairly well into that deck, or it could just go in with a proliferate deck. But if not, not sure what this is gonna be, other than as I just said, a proliferate deck. Next is Archfiend's Vessel. 1-1 one, one life, black 1-1 one, one life link. When it enters the battlefield, if it entered from your graveyard or you cast it from your graveyard, exile it. If you do, create a 5-5 five, five black demon creature token with flying. Uh, this is just a good way to take advantage of a graveyard deck. There are a million different way, a million different, different graveyard decks, but this is just a good way to take advantage of it. Being able to pay one mana to make a 5-5 demon can be quite useful. Next is Havoc Jester, which is 4 and a red for a 5-5. Whenever you sacrifice a permanent, Havoc Jester deals 1 damage to any target. I know this was a card. I know that there was a card very similar to this, but I don't remember what it was called. So, this will see some very limited play. Alright. Uh, next, we are going to cover the planeswalkers so uh first of all we have basri cat we have uh one white white for a three loyalty legendary planeswalker basri plus one put a plus one plus one counter on up to one target creature it gains indestructible until end of turn negative two whenever one or more non-token creatures attack this turn create that many one one white soldier creature tokens that are tapped and attacking uh, negative six, you get an emblem with, at the beginning of your combat on your turn, create a one-one white soldier creature's token, then, a, then put a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control. Um, plus one, putting a plus one plus one counter on get, and giving it indestructible can be useful. Negative two is very good, uh, and the negative six, well, we're probably never going to get there, but, um... Negative six can be useful, yeah. Uh, next is, well, Garuk is apparently in a different language. I'll have to check on that. Liliana, Waker of the Dead, is two black black for a four loyalty legendary planeswalker Liliana. Plus one, each player discards a card. Each opponent who can't loses three life. Negative three. Target creature gets negative x, negative x until end of turn, where x is the number of cards in your graveyard. Negative 7, you get an emblem with, at the beginning of combat, on your turn, uh, sorry, uh, t put target creature card from from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. It gains haste. Negative 7, pretty good, hard to get to. Plus 1, good, it's, it is early game. Um, it, early game it's good because getting rid of cards can be good can be qu quite good uh late game it can be good because you might have gotten rid of their entire hands negative three target creature gets negative x negative x until end of turn where x is the number of cards in your graveyard that is also good 
Next is Teferi, Master of Time. Two blue blue for a three loyalty legendary planeswalker Teferi. You may activate loyalty abilities of Teferi, Master of Time on any player's turn uh, any time you could play it, you could cast an instant. Three loyalty, plus one, draw a card, then discard a card. Negative three, target creature you don't control faces out. And negative ten, take two extra turns after this one. Now, first look, you get to activate it on any player's turn. So you are getting to do this so much. Plus one, this is going to be a great default to just redo over and over and over again. Great. And have a wonderful hand by the end of it, probably. Negative three. Um, that can be useful in a pinch, but it's not that great. And the negative ten... It's gonna take you two rounds of the table to get there, I mean. You might do it, but you also might not, so it's hard to say. Um, you will get targeted with it because of it. It'll be okay. It, it'll... we'll see. Uh, I've heard some people saying it'll dominate standard, and I honestly have no idea about anything in standard. I do not know anything. <laughs> I literally have played, like, Arena for maybe, like, three or four hours. Like, I've, I've been playing it some, but I haven't really gotten into it. Um, so, it's good. Uh, being able to draw a card, then discard a card is quite, quite powerful. Um, next is Chandra, Heart of Fire. Three red red for a five loyalty legendary planeswalker Chandra. It has plus one, discard your hand, then exile the top three cards of your library. Until end of turn, you may play cards exiled this way. Discarding your hand sucks, and only getting three cards isn't really that great. So that seems mediocre. Honestly, it just kind of seems bad. Um, I don't know. Plus one, Chandra deals two damage to any target. Uh, it's protection. Can't criticize protection too much. Um, but it's kind of bad protection. And negative nine, search your graveyard and library for any number of red instant and or sorcery cards. Exile them, then shuffle your library. You may cast them this turn. Add six red. So, that seems okay. I mean, you get six red to cast your uh, creatures, plus what are your instants or sorceries, plus whatever you already have. That seems okay. Um, I don't know, honestly. Just six mana plus what you get, and then you can recast things from your spell from your graveyard, you're not going to win the game. You'll get good value, but you're not going to win the game. Uh, Alright, so real quick, just going to talk about Garuk. So, Garuk Unleashed is 2 green green for a legendary planeswalker Garuk. Plus 1. Up to 1 target creature gets plus 3, plus 3, and gains trample. Negative 2. Create a 3-3 green beast creature token. Then if an opponent controls more creatures than you, put a loyalty counter on Garuk. Uh, negative 7. 
you get an emblem with at the beginning of your end step, you may search your library for a creature card, put it on the battlefield, then shuffle your library. So it's got four loyalty. Plus one, kind of bad. Negative two, also pretty bad. I mean, making a 3-3 three, three is nice, but you're probably, probably going to end up not getting that loyalty. Uh, I mean, maybe. I mean, you're in green, so you've got... It just depends on the deck you're playing and what decks your opponents are playing. You've got decent odds either way. Um, and the negative 7, you're going to win in two turns, probably. Depending on how your deck is built, you might win in one turn. And you will easily win in two turns with any combo with no setup. And if you don't win in two turns with a combo, I'm sure you can figure out a way to win in three turns. If you don't win by then, I don't know what your deck is doing, but that is quite peculiar. Alright, next is... So, that is Planeswalkers. So, beyond that, there's the category of other... And then there's just lots of small cat, lots of other random categories. So, well, you know what? Let's talk about one that I think is awesome. So, this is shrines. So, shrines are basically legendary enchantments that trigger uh, either on your, well, they do something depending on how many shrines you have. Currently, there are 11 in the game because they just printed six more of them, which makes them extremely more viable. I'm working on brewing a deck. It's currently not finished, and I don't know when I will finish it. I will put a link to it in the description, and it may or may not be finished when you look at it. I guess you'll see. So, with those shrines, there are six of them. There is Sanctum of Tranquil Light, which is white for Legendary Enchantment Shrine. Five, white, tap tar target creature. This ability costs one less to activate for each shrine you control. Uh, this would, I'd say, is probably one of the worst ones. Uh, Sanctum of Stone Fangs is one in a black for Legendary Enchantment Shrine. At the beginning of your pre-combat main phase, each opponent loses X life and you gain X life, where X is the number of shrines you control. It does say each opponent, so that is quite good. Um, but considering there's only 11, it's hard to say how many you're really going to have. I mean, statistically, you'll probably only have one or two if we don't count, count tutors. But if you run seven, which is usually what people will be able to do, you'll probably be able to get two or three. Either way, it's kind of mediocre. But again, you are building a around it in a way to specifically get more shrines. Plus, there's a lot more to it than that. Next is Sanctum of Fruitful Harvest, which is two and a green for a legendary enchantment shrine. At the beginning of your pre-combat main phase, add X mana of any one color, where X is the number of shrines you control. So, um, you just get a lot of mana, which is awesome. Sanctum of Shattered Heights, two and a red for a legendary enchantment shrine. One, discard a land or shrine card. Sanctum of Shattered Heights deals X damage to target, sorry, to target creature or planeswalker, where X is the number of shrines you control. This, I'd say, is also a pretty bad shrine, but just because it's a shrine means you have to run it in the deck. 
It just makes it so much better. All right, next is Sanctum of Calm Waters. Uh, that is three and a blue for a legendary enchantment shrine. Beginning of your pre-combat main phase, you may draw X cards, where X is the number of shrines you control. If you do, discard card. Next is uh, Sanctum of All. Uh, this is, sorry, Sanctum of Calm Waters is great. You just get to draw a ton of cards, and then sure, you discard one, but you drew a ton of cards. Next is, I'd say, the best shrine of them all. Sanctum of All. White, blue, black, red, green for a legendary enchantment shrine. At the beginning of your upkeep, you may search your library and or graveyard for a shrine card and put it on the battlefield. If you search your library this way, shuffle it. That is awesome. Being able to get a shrine every single turn is going to add up so quickly. Next is if an ability of another shrine you control triggers while you control six or more shrines, that ability triggers an additional time. There are 11 shrines, so if we get if we get Sanctum of All, we have one from Sanctum of All. Every turn we're going to get one. Statistically, because we assume we have Sanctum of All, that's not going to reduce the odds of us getting any other. So statistically, if we factor in tutors, we are likely to get uh, two to three more shrines. So... That would mean that we are likely to get maybe three, maybe four. So it's probably going to take us two to three turns. Plus, if we factor in the fact that we're playing Sisse, Weatherlight Captain, as the commander, which basically lets you search for legendary creature, legendary permanents out of your library, which shrines are always legendary, which makes it so much easier to get them, then we are very consistently going to be able to get six or more shrines without too much weight. Um, yes, that would be, I think, the best Planeswalker, or sorry, the best commander for the deck. All right, now it's into the niche categories. So, Cat Dog, uh, as you saw the Cat Dog commander, they are printing some cards that work with cats and dogs. So, uh, Animal Sanctuary. Land, tap, add colorless, two, tap, put a plus one, plus one counter on target bird, cat, dog, goat, ox, or snake. Yes, it targets lots of things, but cat and dog are on there, so that's how I categorized it. Uh, Alpine Hound, Mounts, Hound Master. Two X and a white, or sorry, red and a white for a two-two. When it enters the battlefield, you may search your library for a card named Alpine Watchwar, Watchdog and or a card named Ignatius Kerr. Reveal them, put them into your hand, then shuffle your library. Those are two pretty bad dogs. You may want to run them. You may not. That's up to you. Uh, but whatever. Um, and when, uh, whenever Alpine Houndmaster attacks, it gets plus X plus O until in turn, where X is the number of other attacking creatures. It's okay. It's fine. It's not the best. It gets two bad creatures, and it can deal a lot of damage. But that second ability can be useful in a significant number of decks. Uh, pack leader is one and a white for a 2-2. Other dogs get plus one, plus one. And whenever pack leader attacks, prevent all other co prevent all combat damage that would be dealt this turn to dogs you control. That is very good. Feline sovereign, two and a green 
for a 2-3. Other cats, you can shrunk at plus one, plus one, and have protection from dogs. Whenever one or more cats you control deal combat damage to a player, destroy up to one target artifact or enchantment that player controls. So that is also an incredibly good ability. The protection from dogs thing is kind of weird, honestly, but whatever. Alright, so uh, next category we'll say is combo piece. Uh, conspicuous snoop is, uh, well, for both of these combo pieces, they're actually also useful in other places, but I just put them here because they are combo pieces. And I'm pretty sure there was at least one other combo piece here that I didn't include in this category because I felt it fit more closely into another deck or into another category. Conspicuous Snoop, Snoop is red red for a 2-2. Play with the top card of your library revealed. You may cast goblin spells from the top top of your library. And as long as the top card of your library is a goblin card, Conspicuous, Conspicuous Snoop has all activated abilities of that card. This combos with Kiki Jiki. If the top card of your library is Kiki Jiki, you can tap Conspicuous Snoop to make a copy of itself. And then you can and then you have another thing that can make a copy of itself. Over and over and over and over again. And you get infinite tapped conspicuous snoops that go away at the end of turn, which kind of sucks, but you can still take advantage of it. Plus, you can cast goblin spells from the top of your library, so maybe you'll get rid of that and have something useful. So, we'll see. But that can make you infinite tapped conspicuous snoops, which may or may not be useful. Next is nine lives, which is one white white for, a, for an enchantment with hexproof. If a source would deal damage to you, prevent that damage and put an incarnation counter on nine lives. When there are nine or more incarnation counters on nine lives, exile it. When nine lives leaves the battlefield, you lose the game. So there are a lot of different ways that make it so that counters cannot be put on it so you just can't lose. The main one being, of course, um, if I could remember the card, it's two and a white, and counters can't be put on cards. Uh, I don't know. I can't remember the card, but it's just a way to not die. Next is Spark Hunter Mastercore 3 for a 3-4 artifact creature Mastercore. As an additional cost to cast this spell, discard a card. Protection from Planeswalkers, 1. Spark, Spark Hunter Mastercore deals 1 damage to target Planeswalker, 3. Spark Hunter Mastercore gains indestructible until end of turn. Um, I don't know if I just tell you guys this, but this is bad. We analyzed a couple, a while ago, we analyzed the Elder spell and found that it was bad. Well, unless you're playing against a Super Friends deck. This is just not good. Do not run this card even if you are playing against a Planeswalker deck. There are so, so many better ways to deal with it. Um, mainly the Elder Spell, but also um, cards such as just a removal spell that will get either a Planeswalker or a creature. Uh, there's a Zombie Tribal card got printed, 2 and a black for 2-3. Zombies get plus 1 plus 0 at the beginning of your end step. If a creature died this turn, you may pay one in a black if you do create a 2-2 zombie. Uh, there are some life gain payoffs. Speaker of the Heavens, which is white for a 1-1 Vigilance Lifelink. Tap, create a 4-4 white angel. With flying, activate this ability only if you have at least 7 life more than your starting life total. 
and only time you could cast a sorcery. Only any time you could cast a sorcery. Indulging, indulging patrician is one is a one four, one white black for one four with flying lifelink, and at the beginning of your end step, if you gain three or more life this turn, each opponent loses three life. That's cool. Uh, life gain payoffs can help make life gain much much more viable. Uh, next is flying support. Uh, these are just cards that help flying tribal be much more effective. Three and a blue for two three, flying. Whenever creature, whenever you attack with one with two or more creatures with flying, draw a card. That is Tide Skimmer. Great. Uh, Watcher of the Spheres. One in a blue for two two flying creature spells with flying. You cast cost one less to cast. Whenever another creature with flying enters the battlefield under your control, it gets plus one plus one until end of turn. Uh, Mill is Thieves Guild Enforcer. Enforcer. Uh, black for a one one with flash when it enters the battlefield. Uh, under your control, each opponent mills two cards. As long as an opponent has eight or more cards in their graveyard, Thieves, Thieves Guild Enforcer gets plus two, plus one, and has Death Touch. That's good. Uh, just being able to flicker it can be quite good. Stuff like that. It's a small effect, but it can be good. Uh, next is Death Touch help. So, I couldn't really fit like Death Touch support or something. Uh, Hooded Blyfang is two and a black for one four with death touch. Whenever a creature you control with death touch attacks, each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. Whenever a creature you control with death touch deals damage to a planeswalker, destroy that planeswalker. Now, this is good because it helps the death touch tribal decks. Now, while they are fairly limited, uh, they're that is for a reason. There are not, there's not very much support for Death Touch Tribal decks, and this is just a great way to help that exist. Next is Spirit Tribal, Shacklegeist, one and a blue for a 2-2 with flying. Shacklegeist can block only creatures with flying. Tap two untapped spirits you control. Tap target creature you control. Or uh, sorry, tap target creature you don't control. So that's pretty bad. Um there's not really too much else other than this last category, which I just put under other. So, for that, we have 14 cards. Honestly, I don't know why I didn't specifically categorize everything, because some of these categories literally only have one card in them. But, whatever. Uh, see the truth. One in a blue for a sorcery. Look at the top three cards of your library. Put one of those cards into your hand and the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. If this spell was cast from anywhere other than your hand, put each of those cards into your hand instead. This is good in basically a in, an instant or sorcery spell deck that has recursion. Recursion specifically that casts from your graveyard, not from your hand. That way, it's a deck that can very well play uh, play that card without the second second clause, and it can. And it can also take advantage of the if it was cast somewhere else clause uh, on that card. So that can be quite effective. Next is Conclave Mentor. Green, white for a 2-2. If one or more plus one plus one counters would be put on a creature you control, that many plus one plus one plus one counters are put on that creature instead. When Conclave Mentor dies, you gain life equal to its power. That is quite a tongue twister. Um, so... It's fine. 
it gets it helps plus one plus one counter decks. It has to be in Selesnia, which isn't the best colors for plus one plus one counter decks, but it works. Uh, one in a blue for two one ghostly pilferer. When it becomes untapped, you may pay two if you do draw a card. Whenever an opponent casts a spell from anywhere other than a hand, other than their hand, draw a card and discard a card. Ghostly Pilferer can't be blocked this turn. Um, eh, honestly, it's not that good. I mean, giving, untapping it to draw cards can be useful in a deck that likes to do that. Uh, opponents casting spells is kind of out of your control and will probably not have too much of an effect. I may or may not be able to analyze that. I'm going to check on that. I don't know. Because, I mean, in order to analyze it, what I could do is I could calculate the number of... I could check check how much cards that let people cast things from places other than their hand are played. Uh, but that's difficult with things that are used multiple times. There's a lot of things that complicate that. But I'll, I'll look into it. Not sure if we'll be able to do it or not. Uh, next is Idol of Endurance. Uh, two and a white for an artifact. Whenever, when Idol of Endurance enters the battlefield, exile all creature cards with converted mana cost three or less from your graveyard until Idol of Endurance leaves the battlefield. Um, so, first of all, we... And then it says, one tab until end of turn. You may cast a creature spell from among the cards exiled with Idol of Endurance without paying its mana cost. So, first of all, this is just a way to recast the spells. Now, three mana to get it all back isn't bad. Um, having to pay one in a white also is not as bad as you would think because of the fact that it only works on small creatures. Now, this is quite difficult, honestly, to find a deck for. All the decks that do specifically only want those creatures recurred already have their method of recurring them. For example, Alesha. But with something like Alesha, you want to be able to do it with both of those things. And having the rid of all of your creatures in order to be able to do it with that is kind of annoying. Plus, uh, you have you sure. You don't have to pay its mana cost, um, which can, which is nice, but I don't know. It's okay. It's not the best. It's not the worst. It'll do the trick and be useful in some cases, but sometimes it just won't. Next is Liliana's Standard Bearer. Two and a black for three, one with flash. When, I, when Liliana's Standard Bearer enters the battlefield, draws cards, where X is the number of creatures that died under your control this turn. So, um, this is, I would say, quite good. In decks that love to kill their creatures, this can work very, very well. This also does not say non-token, which can make it much, much better. So, if there's a wrath, or if you just want to sack your entire board, this can draw you a significant number of cards. I'd say it really only has to draw you two in order to give you good value because it, it is a three one. Plus it does have flash. 
it being three mana and having to cast it on the same spell as everything dying might be difficult depending on how you're killing people killing everything but other than that it's fairly good next is basri's lieutenant three and a white for a three four vigilance protection from multicolored when it, when basri's lieutenant uh, enters the battlefield, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control. And whenever when it whenever Basri's lieutenant or another creature you control dies, if it had a plus one plus one counter on it, create a two two white knight creature token with vigilance. So it can help in knight decks, it can help in plus one plus one counter decks, and it can well that's that's kind of all. But that's fairly good array of decks that it could fit into. Next is Eric Experimental Overload, which is two blue red for sorcery. Create an XX blue red and we XX blue and red weird creature token. Then where X is the number of instant and sorcery cards in your graveyard. Then you may return an instant or sorcery card from your graveyard to a hand. Exile Experimental Overload. First of all, I don't know why uh, a descriptive word is being used as a creature type. I know weirds have been a creature type for so long. I just think it's a weird choice. Um, beyond that, uh, getting an instant or sorcery back is good. I'd say probably two mana value. Maybe a little less because usually... Cards that you can get back instance and sorcery for two mana have some benefit. Um, but for that extra two mana, uh, you get a giant dude if you brought back a big thing. I'd say it could be good. I mean, it's sort of a thing you'd play early game. Sort of thing you'd... No, you'd, you would play this late game. So, I mean, getting it back is nice. Um, but I just don't know how many decks have giant instants and sorcery spells that they need to recur. I guess spells that can cheat things out would love this. Um, I'm just gonna go to the next one. I could definitely see this being played, but not necessarily in too many places. Stormwing Entity is 3 blue blue for 3-3. Three, three. This spell costs two blue less to cast if you've cast an instant or sorcery spell this turn. So that would be one in a blue. Uh, it has flying prowess, and when it enters the battlefield, scry two. So, first of all, uh, the odds of that instant or sorcery spell costing two in a blue is fair. I mean, you're not necessarily going to be able to cast them in the same spell, but... Most of the time you will, and it will only cost one in the blue. If it doesn't, it's pretty bad. If it does cost one in a blue, you got one in a blue for 3-3 three, three with Flying Prowess and Scry 2. So, Scry 2, nice, probably not relevant. Flying, nice, but Prowess is where it really is helpful. This is a great way to get some damage in. And it's not really going to do too much in the deck, but it's just a good way to get some extra value and extra damage in. Next is Elder Gar Elder Gargaroth is 3, green green for a 6-6 with Vigilance, Reach, and Trample. 
Whenever Elder Gargaroth attacks or blocks, choose one. Create a 3-3 green beast creature token. You gain 3 life or draw a card. So these are fairly standard. Gaining 3 life is pretty bad. Drawing card, drawing a card and making a 3-3 are fairly useful. I mean, there's not too much about it. It's a good beater. It can pack a punch. And it can... It, it's, it's just good. It's just good at what it does. Um, sorry, my voice is like really dying and I can't speak because I have been having shorter episodes and now I am having a longer episode. Yeah, um, it's been probably two hours now. So I guess that's just how set reviews go. Uh, Chandra's Incinerator is five and a red for six six. This spell costs X less to cast, where X is the total amount of non-combat damage dealt to your opponents this turn. And it has Trample. Whenever a source you control deals non-combat damage to an opponent, Chandra's Incinerator deals that much damage to target creature or planeswalker that player controls. So, that's fine. I mean, it's okay. Um... That being able to double damage of non-creature is, it's good, it is very good, but how much of the damage actually is non-creature? I mean, you're getting a 6-6 beater, which is nice, and it's going to be cheaper, but when you're cheapening it, you have to spend mana in order to do that. Because it has to be non-combat damage. So, you probably will be able to cast this for like four or five mana and then you'll be able to maybe get some benefit off that non-creature non-combat source but it's difficult because you just used it all when you were preparing to get that creature out so it's fine don't think it's going to work as well as you would expect it to but it certainly can do very well if you are careful with it this and intentional with it you know exactly how it's gonna function and you have it you have thought it out what you're likely to draw how it's likely to go and you've tested it uh next is discontinuity three blue 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 for an instant as long as it's your turn this spell costs two blue blue less to cast end the turn Exile all spells and abilities from the stack, including this card. The player whose turn it is discards seven discards down to their maximum hand size. Damage wears off, and this turn and until end of turn effects end. So this is well, let's just split into two things. If we are talking about doing it on your own turn. It is one in a blue mana to end the turn. Well, there are much better ways to do that, specifically the two mana artifact that lets you tap uh, one, use one mana and tap it to do it. Can't remember what it's called. Uh, There are much better ways to do it, but it certainly does the trick. And uh, for it to work, um, basically, the only things that I could see really it working with are those red take an extra turn cards 
that let you that have you lose the game at the end of that extra turn. You will not get that trigger. Um, so that's good, I guess, but that's okay. Um, it's fine. It's not that good. It's not that bad if you use it on your own turn. In very specific decks, it can be useful. Um, if you use it on an opponent's turn, uh, it could very easily give you that last turn you need to win, but considering the fact it's six mana, it seems to me like you are skipping your opponent's turn and countering one of their spells in exchange for your turn. I mean, the downside of it is either you let them have their combat, and you probably don't get to cast a spell, or you probably don't get to counter a spell, or you don't let them have, or you don't let them have their combat. Um, sorry. Either you let them have their combat, and you you get to counter a spell, or you don't let them have their combat, and you don't get to counter a spell. So either way, it's not great. I'd say yes, in some scenarios it could be useful, but if you can't reasonably use it on your own turn, I don't see it being worth it. Next is Talarian Kraken. Four and four blue blue for four six. Whenever you draw a card, you may pay one. When you do, you may tap or untap target creature. I see this as a way to get mana back. If you can untap something that gives you two mana, you can just get a mana every time you draw a card, which can be quite useful. Um, plus, in a lot of decks such as uh, the Skull Clamp and uh, Locust God combo. You can usually you could pay one mana to draw some cards. Next up is Chromatic Ori seven for a legendary artifact. You may spend mana as though it were mana of any color, and tap add white colorless 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 colorless. Uh, five tap uh, draw a card for each color among permanents you control. So I am kind of down on this. For 7 mana, you don't necessarily need to be ramping anymore. I'd say it's significantly better to just run things that let you cheat in cards. I mean, having perfect fixing is nice, but it doesn't really matter once you have 7 mana. And having an additional 5 mana, I mean, you'll probably have 13 mana the next turn. And I mean, sure, you're getting 5 mana back this turn, but... It just seems like a super uncommon deck that can actually take advantage of it. And that second ability, the first time you activate it, you're basically spending 12 mana to draw a card for each color amount permanence you control. I mean, you're probably going to be drawing three or four cards in a five color deck, depending, of course, on the deck. And I mean, sure, with your commander, you can usually get most of your colors, but eh, it just doesn't seem great. I feel like I'm going to be proved wrong on that, but it just doesn't seem that good. Alright, next is Peer into the Abyss. Peer into the Abyss is four black 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 for sorcery. Target player draws cards equal to half the number of cards in their library and loses half their life. Round up each time. So, that is quite good. I mean, you can do it on an opponent if you can kill them. Probably not what you're going to do, 
you can draw half of your library, which is probably what you are going to do. When you are drawing half of your library, you'll probably have some way to win. Be it an advantage from you discarding a discarding card, be it an advantage from you drawing cards, which is most likely, or, well, it's actually the losing of the life is not why, why you're going to win. But point is, you can draw quite a lot of cards off of this, and you will almost definitely be able to win with the cards you get, if not by the very fact of you drawing the cards. All right, time to get into the last category, removal. Uh, there are three cards in removal, and now that I think about it, there probably should have also been discontinuity in removal, but that's fine. We have miscast, which is blue for an instant, counter target instant or sorcery spell, unless it's controller pays three. Uh, this is great protection uh, against counter spells, against removal, against things like that, or it can just be used as removal for your opponent's instant or sorcery spells. There is sublime epiphany, which is for blue blue for an instant, choose one or more. Counter target spell, counter target activated or triggered ability, return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand, create a token that's a copy of target creature you control, and target player draws a card. So let me go through these. There are two of these they are not just gonna do almost all the time. Counter target spell and counter target activated or triggered ability. You are almost definitely going to be counter tar countering target spell. That is when you're going to cast this. You're going to wait until you can do that. Uh, you might end up doing an activated or triggered ability instead if you're desperate, but probably not. Return target non-land permanent to its owner's hand can be quite valuable. Create a token that's a copy of target creature you control uh, can be quite valuable. Target player draws a card also can be, well, actually, no, it's, it's just generally good, but not that good. And last up is Volcanic Salvo. 10 red, red for sorcery. This spell costs X less to cast, where X is the total power among creatures you control. Volcanic Salvo deals 6 damage to each creature, uh, to each of up to 2 target creatures and or planeswalkers. So, again, it's removal. Uh, I think... Uh, I think I'll probably do, not this week, but maybe next week, I'll do a teaching how to analyze of, uh, how to analyze what power you're likely to have. But, of course, I've been actually avoiding doing those until I run out of cards to analyze, other cards to analyze, because I just think it is much better to have give you the answers because I know you guys are not necessarily going to do it. You're not necessarily going to put in the effort to do this in your decks and I think it's much easier if I just give you the answer. I don't know. Maybe that's the wrong opinion. I think it kind of is. But anyways, I will be putting links in the description to a deck which I put together which is Core 2021 Notables. Um, I will link to a couple other relevant things. Uh, this is not all of the cards in Core Set 2021. I got rid of some that I just thought were not notable, and I did not talk about many, many reprints. I only talked about the super 
notable ones. So I will be putting links in the description to the rest of the cards in M21, and I will be putting link in the a link in the description to a uh, Core 2021 Notables deck. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to dislike, unsubscribe, hit that little don't, don't recommend channel button, leave my Discord server, link in the description, and force friends to sign a contract to never watch my content. Uh, there will be links in the description to a hypergeometric distribution calculator if that is relevant to today's discussions, which it very commonly is. Um, I'm probably just going to make that a standard, always in the description. Uh, there will be links to my personal architect account, my commander quest architect account. Uh, my commander quest architect account is the account which I post commander quest related decks and my personal architect account is just where I put whichever decks that I'm working on that I might want to build or that are not part of the commander quest. Uh, there will be timed up time blocks in the description or if you're watching on YouTube, it will be in chapters. And you can email me at griffindont at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.